Dear friends in Christ, this evening we consider the second part in our series, This Is My Son, by looking at the life of Ishmael and how God used him in his plan of salvation. We're familiar with the well-known saying, be careful what you wish for. The general idea is that we don't always know what we think we want. And what we want may not always be what is best for us or what we expect it to be. When you think about desire, the source of all of our wants, it's kind of inherent to life. Desire is part of really every aspect of life. Every decision we make, in a sense, is formed by desire to some extent. But desire can also blind us. In those moments when we want something so badly that that feeling kind of overcomes us and we forget other details and we block out other things in our life, it's usually because desire has blinded us. And when we talk about desire, disappointment often follows quickly on its heels. From the perspective of our faith in Christ, we often think of this when it comes to our prayer life. Think about the amazing gift that prayer is. God allows us to come before him anytime we want to speak to him about any need or desire that we have. And God promises us in his word that every prayer is heard and that every prayer is answered to the best blessing in our lives because of what Christ has accomplished for us. We know that when we ask God for something in prayer, when we approach him in prayer, the best outcome will come our way because of Jesus. The blessing of prayer is about receiving what God wants for us because he knows what's best for our lives. But how easy it is to see prayer in a different light. How easy it is to think of our prayers as only worthwhile if we get what we want. If God does things according to our plan. And how easy it is for us in our lives to get angry at God, to question and doubt God if our prayers don't end up the way we want. Prayer is about trust, not desire. But so easily it can become the opposite. Our Advent series this year considers the reality of unmet expectations especially in our relationships and especially in the individuals that we look at through God's word in the relationship between a father and son. This evening we look at our next lesson about Abram and Sarai and Ishmael. And we read this evening from Genesis chapter 16. We'll be reading there verses 1 through 6. The entire context is printed in your service folder. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain a child by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. 
And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. These are the words of God that we will be considering tonight. This text comes right on the heels of God reaffirming his promise to Abraham. If you back up one chapter in Genesis to chapter 15, God again gives Abram that famous promise that he would be the father of a great nation, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And we're told there in Genesis 15 that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted this promise from God. And this promise was not just about Abram's family here on earth, but it was also about all of us. It was about all believers, those who share the faith of Abraham, those who trust in Jesus Christ. And so we are all rightly called children of Abraham. When Abram trusted God's word, he was not just trusting a promise about his family for his life. He was trusting a promise about the Savior who would come. And all of us who share that same faith trust in that same promise. Obviously, as we get to chapter 16 here in our text this evening, some time has passed since the events of chapter 15. We don't exactly know how long it was, but we do know this. It was long enough to get Abram and Sarai to begin doubting God's promise. And so begins the idea. The idea fueled by desire to take matters into their own hands. Back then in that culture, and in the cultures of the, the other nations around the people of God at that time, it was very common for a man to take multiple women as his wives. It was also common that he would take a woman who was a servant in his family or in his structure. And while it seems strange to us today that Sarai, Abram's wife, would suggest such an idea, it really wasn't out of the context of that time. I'm sure for Sarai, it made a lot of sense in her mind. Like Abram, Sarai trusted God's promise that had been given to them, and she probably thought it was proper and right for her to play a role in fulfilling that promise. Maybe she convinced herself that God was using her to bring this to pass in some way. Probably also seemed like a foolproof plan to Sarai because she was master over Hagar. Any child conceived from Hagar and Abram would legally be Sarai's. Seems like an open and shut case. It seems like this was exactly the way to bring about this heir that had been eluding Abram and Sarai for so long. But Sarah's idea whether culturally acceptable or not, was clearly against God's plan. As open and shut as this may have seemed, as foolproof as this may have seemed in Sarai's mind, she should have known that God would never fulfill one of his promises by violating his word. This plan caused Abram to commit adultery. It caused Hagar to commit sexual immorality. We see the strife that it created 
between Sarai and Hagar, how Sarai treated her harshly and how Hagar ran away. And furthermore, after all was said and done, it couldn't make Ishmael the rightful heir of Abram. He was not the heir that God intended. God promised that the child would come from Abram and Sarai. Although this was Sarai's idea, Abram wasn't free from responsibility either. Instead of pointing out the problem with the plan, he gave into it. Instead of exercising godly leadership, instead of stepping into the role that God had given him, he consented to it. Both Sarai and Abram neglected God's will and sinned against him. They openly violated his law and they revealed through that a deep lack of trust in God's promise. Each of these things indicate that they failed to be careful in what they wished for. But our text tells us one more area that they failed to account for, and that was Hagar's reaction. Sarai expected Hagar to willingly give up this child without a fight, and that everything would be fine and it would all be taken care of. But she should have known enough about human nature and about the emotional connection between a mother and her child to know that Hagar would never do this easily. And so there was conflict. Chapter 16 continues with that broader context that's printed in your service folder about how Hagar ran away because of the harsh treatment from Sarai. And the Lord appeared to Hagar while she was in exile and encouraged her to return and submit to Sarai and to her authority. Obviously, this would be difficult for Hagar to do, but in the end, it would spare her life and Ishmael's life. And God promised, even though Ishmael was not the one that he had chosen, he would become the father of a great nation himself. You'll notice this evening that the son that we're talking about is Ishmael, but the majority of our discussion and our study is about Abram and Sarai. Because of the choices they made, because of their decision to take matters into their own hands, Ishmael's legacy would always be known as an example of a failed expectation. Our scripture reading from Galatians brought this lesson out as the Apostle Paul explained the spiritual significance of this story in the Old Testament to our lives today. Ishmael and Hagar represented the futility of achieving our salvation through the law, through what we do or through what we feel. That was their story. That was their legacy. Isaac, on the other hand, represented the fulfillment of God's promise through the gospel, the freedom that that brings through our Savior Jesus, the one way for our salvation to be achieved. Because of Sarai and Abram's choice, Ishmael's legacy is always emblematic with failure. Just as Abram and Sarai failed to achieve the fulfillment of God's promise to them by their own means, so also all who attempt to achieve life with God through their own works or effort will fail likewise. At the very beginning of that section in Galatians, as Paul explains the spiritual significance of this in our lives, he starts with this question. 
Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Talk about a question of great spiritual significance. And it's a warning from the Apostle Paul. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful of the pathway that desire can take you down when it comes to your faith. Be careful of thinking you have all things figured out before God. Be careful of assuming you are the fulfillment of His plan for your life. And that all of your desires, all of your thoughts, all of your dreams, all of your actions will perfectly fit into that plan. Paul says when it comes to our faith, if you think you can achieve salvation by the law, you ought to read the law and see what it says to your life. In the same sense, Sarai's humbling of Hagar in our text and eventually casting her out of the family was symbolic, Paul says, of God doing away with the law as a way to salvation for us. You see, in both lessons, both in Genesis and in Galatians, in order for God's promise to be realized, the counterfeit method, the false method that had arisen through man's desire had to be done away with. Paul says Hagar and Ishmael had to be cast out in order for Isaac to become the child of promise that he was. And this is exactly what Jesus, the true Son of God, did when he came to earth in our place. Jesus fulfilled God's long-awaited promise of one who would come to redeem sinners from condemnation. And just as Isaac's birth marked the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram, so the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem marked the fulfillment of that promise of salvation to all the world. When it comes to Ishmael as a son, the unfortunate reality of his life is that the fault was not really his. His story and his legacy is more about what Abram and Sarai chose to do than what he himself did. The same parallel is also present when we consider Christ as our Savior. The obligation that he took on under the law was not of his own doing. Jesus stepped into our place. It was our sins and our transgressions that made it necessary for him to not only be born as a human, but to suffer and die while he was here on earth. And like Abram and Sarai, it was our lack of trust. It was our infatuation with our desires. It was our discontentment with God's way of doing things that created a need for the Savior. When you look at this text before us this evening, it's not the typical Christmas text that we think about. There doesn't appear to be a lot of hope and joy in this text. We see that Abram and Sarai were weak and foolish. We see that Hagar and Ishmael were mistreated and cast out. And yet we see hope this evening through God's word. Because the central message of this story is not about Abram and Sarai. It's not about Hagar and Ishmael. It's about the fact that regardless of the many sins committed, God's promise remained true. Nothing that Abram and Sarai did, even with the best of intentions, could undo what God would accomplish through Jesus. Nothing that happened to Hagar and Ishmael, no matter how unfair it was, was more powerful 
than redemption through their Savior. What amazing hope this gives our lives as we consider what we go through in our faith, as we consider the light of our sins and transgressions before God's law. No amount of sin or misplaced trust can undo what God has done for us in Christ. No attitude or wickedness that's committed against you by someone else is more effective or more powerful than the love of Jesus. The central message of this story tonight does not rise or fall on the actions of any one individual. It's bigger than that. Because God's promise remained intact and God's promise would be fulfilled. And likewise in your life, the substance of your faith and the hope of your salvation does not rise or fall on you or any single individual in your life because it's firm and solid through your Savior. As we think of our faith this evening and as we apply these thoughts to our lives, there are hard lessons that have to be learned by us just as well as it was by Abram and Sarai. One lesson is that we can't accomplish God's plan on our own. And we need to be careful about letting our desires take the place of God's will. Another lesson is that Faith dictates an attitude of obedience and submission to God's plan, not thinking that we have it all figured out ourselves. And another lesson is be careful what we wish for because when desire gets a hold of our heart, it can lead us away from Christ. There are many hard lessons to be learned through Ishmael's example, but there is no greater lesson than what God accomplished through Jesus. Ishmael's story represents the passing away of what was futile for that which lasts for eternity. Ishmael's story represents the removal of the bondage of sin that we're all under and the glorious freedom of the gospel. We see a reminder of that from God not just in the events of our text, but in Ishmael's own name. The end of chapter 16 tells us that the angel of the Lord came to Hagar and told her to name her child Ishmael, which means God hears. Ishmael's name would always be a reminder that God did not forget about Hagar, that God heard her pleas and her cries and that he responded to her in mercy. But God went even further than this as well. Not just talking about his mercy and symbolizing it in Ishmael's name, but showing Hagar his love and his mercy directly by leading her back to safety. After Hagar ran away and she felt abandoned and was overcome with loneliness and despair, God brought her back. God spared her. And Hagar confessed in that moment something that she had learned about God. Our text tells us that she confessed that he was the God who sees. In both of those examples, we see the greatest hope that we have this Advent season as we approach Christmas and even far beyond that. We have a God who sees and hears. And he sees and hears in our lives as well with his mercy in Christ. As we consider our lives 
in the light of this story, as we apply some of those hard lessons to our lives, let us remember the most important one. God hears and God sees in his mercy. We have freedom through what our Savior Jesus has accomplished for us. Freedom to lay down our arms and stop fighting against God's will and stop trying to accomplish everything on our own. We have freedom from the wickedness and evil of the world, even up to the point of death itself when it stares us in the face. We have freedom through our Savior Jesus because he came in our place. He went through everything we go through. And he paid for our sins on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, is the greatest example of how God hears and sees us in our lives and how he will always respond in his mercy to us. Thanks be to God again this Advent season for such an amazing and wonderful gift. And may we be reminded again and strengthened in our faith through everything that our Savior has done for us. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.